Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. We've got a fun one for you today. I'm chatting with Rodney Williams, co-founder of Solo Funds. Rodney, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. So as we like to do on this show, I'd like you to start with just a quick kind of 60-second intro of yourself and your background and, and how Solo Funds came to be. Definitely. Well, uh, you know, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Rodney Williams, co-founder and president at Solo Funds. Um, prior to to us really deciding to create a product for, for everyday Americans, uh, I, I started a company called Listener, um, largest investor being Visa. Um, and, and, and prior to that, I was at Procter & Gamble. I, I would say I have been historically obsessed with uh, problem solving. And, and, and that's kind of what gotten me, you know, gotten me to this point. You know, as it relates to solo funds, it's actually, it stems from a personal story of our friends and family needing access to short-term capital. Um, and, and also our friends and family not having a way to grow the capital they do have. Uh, so for us, we decided to create something more human something where people can support each other and people can step up for each other. So borrowers can make uh, a request, name their own price, um, decide how much they need when they're going to pay it back. And another person can then uh, lend them that capital and make uh, a return. Um, and, and not, uh, uh, it could have happened faster, but in a, in a relatively short period of time, we've crossed over a million loans funded We've distributed nearly $300 million back into underserved communities. Um, our lenders have made, made well over $20 million in net income. Um, and and, and, and we're, we have surpassed the transaction volume of a half a billion dollars. Um, uh, and that's all the testament to the community and the growth that they have decided to do. Because uh, we've never been um, uh, uh, the ability to afford the great marketing campaign just yet. Um, but um, I think it is a true testament to just building a product that Americans want and, and need. Um, but pleasure to be here. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the, the stats are very impressive. And you know, don't be too hard on yourself for taking a full five years to get where you are. That's really, really strong results. And I think, you know, I want to talk specifically about solo and kind of come back to the the way that you structured things because it's it's fascinating. But I want to start with some broader context because you know it's no secret, you know, people who've been in the fintech space, the finance space, we've known for a while that there are communities that are chronically underserved. They're people who struggle to build wealth, who struggle to get out of this kind of trap of generational inability to, to build wealth. And as a society more broadly, we've really struggled with this. As an industry specifically, fintech has struggled to really make a significant dent in that problem. From your perspective at a really high level, where do you think financial technology can be the most helpful here? Or, or maybe put another way, what do we need to see more of out of the fintech ecosystem to really start to turn this tide? Yeah, well, I think first we got to be very clear about the two problems of making it really difficult. Um, the, the first problem is, is, is systematic and it, and it stems from the, the current financial system. And, and, and the current financial system alongside the regulatory and compliance controls are designed to protect the product as is. It's not necessarily designed to, to change anything about it um, or to make it more accessible 
or to 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 do anything with it. It's just literally designed for for as is consumption. Um, an example of that is you know if you, if you think about you know the the recent incident that happened at Navy Federal Credit Union when 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 they were clearly not offering certain types of loans to marginalized communities. At the end of the day, you could look at that example and say, well, that's wrong. But they would say it's too risky. As a technologist, I would say, well, there are newer underwriting methods that are currently, you know, regulation and compliance would say no to. But 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 they but that bank doesn't have the the innovation or the flexibility to try to figure it out. Nor nor are they incentivized to do so. And and you see that across uh, financial services. You know what I what I will say as I as I thought with open banking and the emergence of the things that Plaid do and 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 and, and the ability for for some startup person like myself to um, create a, a new type of neo bank with the same type of checking account that we're all offering. That's also not a new product. At the end of the day, you know we're, we're there's nothing new about it except for a marketing campaign. So that the the entire premise was actually just a disguise, uh, more so than anything. The other problem, so one problem is the systematic issue. The other problem stems from the fact that um, as it relates to, to, to the, capital, the regulatory environment and the capitalization that's required, right, um, is, it's not currently, the current market condition is really not conducive to any type of innovation in financial services right now. Um, it's, and however you peel that layer. Um, the current regulatory environment um, has no pathway to create new products. And I'm under the assumption because of raw history and raw data, right, that if the, if the current products are not being assessed by the market, if the current products don't work, they don't work. It means you need new products. You need to think about things differently. And you need a, a regulatory pathway for innovation. Today, there's absolutely none. And then on the flip side of that, when if I'm a, a partner looking to capitalize or give money to a founder trying to go out and tackle this problem, the, I got to take into account regulatory risk. I got to take into account so much um, to, to even think about the, 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 at the end of the day, is this founder just really trying to fix something that's systematic in, 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 in everyday consumer, you know, everyday American life? So there's, there's challenges, and that's what makes it really difficult. It's that, it's that systematic engine, and, and it's the capitalization and the regulatory environment of today. Um, both of those um, instances make it nearly impossible to bring um, real innovation um, in the fintech. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really good answer. And as so many of the people that I know in the fintech space have been frustrated by some of the pieces that you're talking about here. I mean, obviously, the capital crunch is very well documented. And I've spoken to other people on this show, um, including some venture capitalists about where that's coming from. And, and there may be some potential good news on the horizon there, although we'll, we'll wait and see. But I think the big piece that I, I find fascinating is this idea that you know, in order to really solve some of these problems, it does require new products. It's not about delivering the same products in a different way, in a different package, you put it on your phone instead of having to come into a branch. And not to disparage companies who are doing that, that's that's valuable work. And it's, it is certainly more useful to be able to access some things from the comfort of your own home. 
But at the end of the day, the actual financial products that are available now are fundamentally very similar to the products that were available 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. You know, a mortgage still looks like a mortgage, a credit card still looks like a credit card, a checking account still looks like a checking account. And I think this is one of those areas where a lot of people in fintech and, and outside of fintech have expressed legitimate frustration that we haven't seen a lot of these kind of new ideas, new products that technology can enable because there have been major advancements in, in a lot of areas of technology that can fundamentally change how we look at credit risk, how we look at delivering credit to people in different areas. Um, and so, you know, I, I want to turn now towards Solo particularly, and and you know, as you were looking at you know the, all these problems and looking at the just monumental size of the lift that you were trying to achieve, what were your biggest priorities? How did you kind of settle on what you could target first that was realistic for you to be able to accomplish? Yeah, you know, for us, you know, when we looked at the market, I will tell you the first thing we didn't want to do more of the same things, right? There, there are enough credit builders. There's enough financial literacy. There's enough budgeting. Um, I always tell a story. If you want to know the best budgeter in the world, meet someone who lives off of $20 on a weekly basis. I promise you um, their level of expertise and understanding of when a bill is going to actually hit that account is, uh, is genius at best or at worst, right? It's a genius at worst. So when, when, we didn't want to do the same thing because it doesn't work. So for us, we tried to identify the real uh, problems that we saw in our communities, the, the, and, and we tried to back it up with data. And we kind of identified two real problems. I think that the first problem was this concept of the, the real American. And, and what I'm really referring to is 70% of Americans today live with very, very limited savings. Um, that means the savings that they do have it doesn't allow them to withstand an emergency or the inconsistency in their cash flow or their income. Um, so what that means is, in, in certain seasons or certain time periods, um, they're gonna they're gonna get into a situation where they need short term capital, and 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 the entire payday or subprime um, lending category, which is from a from a debt or credit instrument, is basically a roughly like around a three hundred dollar debt product um that's where they where they where they uh thrive is is serving this type of consumer and that's really i, I joke this that's really the only financial product that was ever really created for the the average american or the everyday american and, it, and it's 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 the same today as it was you know 50 years ago but the the what i'm ultimately saying is that that those particular products um, are really expensive. Um, and, and let's put yourself in, a, in an average um, American um, um, example, for example, or, or, or a, like a scenario. Uh, I'm a single mom. Uh, my child is sick. And all of a sudden, I now can't work the, the planned hours I, I thought I was supposed to. So therefore, my entire budget for that pay period is off. Um, uh, the way things work out, that's also the, the, the week that I get a, a parking ticket, for example. Um, so, so, so not only do I need um, uh, a short-term uh, cash for to put food on the table or to pay a particular bill. Um, that you know, if I use a credit card, it's it's expensive, or I use a payday loan, it's expensive. Uh, but if I just don't pay that parking ticket, you know, I know in LA, a fifty-dollar parking ticket can turn into a two hundred and fifty-dollar problem. That all of these problems, um, what I would call um, 
take advantage of this scenario. And that's this scenario based on our data happens four to eight times per year on the average American. And, and, and that's why it's so hard for them to, to get out of scenarios like that. That scenario is going to happen regardless. So number one, we said, listen, we have to provide an extremely flexible cash instrument, uh, loan instrument. It needs to be flexible. Uh, it needs to be able to not be predicated on credit. It needs to have better underwriting, better risk measuring. And it needs to also not be predicated on a specific type of income like earn wage access. Because um, based on the scenario I just told you, right, uh, the hours may fluctuate. Or here's the picture of a real American. Um, they may have an hourly job. Let's just say they work at a grocery store. Um, they, but they also Uber drive. And they also sell things on Etsy. And their grandmother has been sending them $250 every month for the past you know, 20 years. That's technically what, uh, what the snapshot of their income really looks like. So we needed something really flexible so that it, it, it's, it's much more flexible than the planned hours, but you're able to truly assess who they are. On the, on the other side, um, I am of that same American, but I'm in a better season of my life. It could be tax season, um, but I have a few thousand dollars in my account and, and, I, and I got things under control. The, the biggest problem with that group is that group... Uh, their money is, is sitting in deposit accounts that are not growing any yield. Uh, my co-founder always tells a story about his, grand, uh, about his father, who worked at General Motors, literally had $50,000 $50, into an account that never really grew. Um, and, 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 and no banker was calling um, on his father to, to manage his funds. Uh, so he, his wealth position did not grow over time. So number one, you have to make it grow. So what I what I what, what we thought as a company is like we got to find a way to give flexible cash to manage the inconsistencies, and on the flip side, we needed to figure out how to create an asset class that will enable their deposits to grow, so that in the event that emergency comes back around or that inconsistency comes back around, as we know that it will, they can actually handle it themselves, and that's the power of. You know, when we looked at these two problems, you know, we, we like every single concept that was like, give them what they already have, we said no to. And we kind of went back to this concept of peer-to-peer -peer, and we looked at the predecessors of peer-to-peer, -peer, but the, one of the biggest things that we noticed that they did not do is they did not take peer-to-peer -peer model and pushed it to the subprime market. And if you look at all of the predecessors, they, 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 they were focused on like higher dollar value loans, longer term loans. They were prime loans. They were loans. They were like $1,500, $3,000 loans to, to go remodel a bathroom, right? That they were not, they did not figure out that where the peer-to-peer -peer model concept would work best. Our premise and our thought was, number one, the core insight that these two individuals are the same group. Everyone thinks they're so different. They're really not. They're just in different seasons of their life. Um, so we felt like because they're the same group, um, we think peer-to-peer -peer will have a unique ability to work. Combined with the fact that these would be short-term, small dollar, I think that frequency is going to do two things for us. It's going to allow us to create uh, a, a short-term, high-frequency uh, risk algorithm 
that we believe that we're due to the high frequency is going to get smarter faster. And on the flip side of that, um, we, we felt that the human insight, that short-term nature is going to make it easier for us to extract yield for the lender. And, and to be honest, that's what happened. It was a social experiment in the beginning because everyone said it wouldn't work, but it's working and it's working really, really well. Yeah. And I just have to applaud you for the creativity there and to really look at the actual problems and kind of get down to the the roots of them. Because I think looking at people from the standpoint of, you know, these are the same people who are can be on either sides of the coin. And, you know, sometimes you might have a little bit of extra money that you need to make grow. Sometimes you might find yourself in a position where you need an extra, you know, 50 or a hundred dollars, not a full bathroom remodel loan. Um, and it's not just about kind of taking people and cramming them into uh, products that you already have. It's about looking what products you kind of wish existed or what products your customers wish existed that I think is is really impressive here. And and I think, you know, looking at it from the standpoint of the people who come to Finnovate, the people who are active in the space, virtually all of them hold some debt, you know, whether it's a mortgage or auto loan or something, you have you are holding some sort of debt. And you're also holding some sort of investment vehicle. People don't get cleanly divided into investors and and borrowers, right? Most most people are are doing both. And somehow when we get down to some of these underserved communities, there's this perception that actually, you know, you're all a borrower or you're all an investor. And and the flexibility that you're giving people to engage wherever they happen to be at that moment, I think is is really impressive. Um, we unfortunately don't have a huge amount of time to continue to, to discuss this, but I do have to ask one question because I know that Serena Williams Venture Capital Firm is heavily involved in Solo. And I just have to ask, have you had a chance to meet her? And, and I also just want to know, what's it like working with someone like her who's so driven and competitive and how she might have helped push you uh, in ways that have helped make Solo what it is today? Well, you know, number one, I'm 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 really thankful for her presence. Um, she is highly involved. She is highly engaged. Um, I'm really thankful also for her ability to, to give us a chance. Um, uh, she's always asking the question of what else do we need and how can she be helpful? Um, and, you know, I think, I, I you know, I, I, I think that she's like that with all her portfolio because I, I wouldn't know why she would treat us differently, but she definitely makes us feel that, like she believes in the product and its purpose undeniably. Like it is like a true understanding of the product and the impact it's making. It's not what the headlines say. It's not even what my presentation says. It's like, no, I actually know the, the literally the user who you serve. Like I know that person. Um, they're in my family and I know what you're doing is going to help them. And for that, I'm going to support this um, as much as I can. Um, I'm really, really thankful for that. Um, and, and, uh, but she's, she's on calls. We met in person. She, she's very, very involved. So, uh, really, really thankful to have her as a, as a, as an investor. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and the big piece I really wanted to highlight here is really just the, the the benefit of having a supportive venture capitalist who understands the mission, not necessarily from the standpoint of, is this going to give me a return on investment? Obviously every venture capitalist wants a return on investment. But from the standpoint of, I agree with the problem or, or with your strategy for solving the problem that you're trying to solve. 
and I support your mission. I think that's incredibly valuable as well. So there's a lot to take away from this episode. Unfortunately, we do have to leave it here, but it's been really fascinating getting your side and learning more about solo funds. Again, I've been chatting with Rodney Williams. Rodney, thanks again for taking the time. It's been great. Thank you. And such a pleasure. I hope that I didn't talk too much. (laughs) Oh, no, not at all. Just the right amount. Awesome. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening. 